Yes, Lord, how can we begin to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? And what I suspect is that in heaven, our, um, what it is going to be like in heaven is the reading level is going to be the same around for everybody. And what I expect the life will be like in heaven is that we'll be in a space where we see kids and adults running around in perfect beauty and harmony. And that's what I get to talk about this morning uh, as we jump into, into Advent. And so um, Advent is such an interesting season for so many of us. And as, as you've heard it said uh, before, it's a time of preparation for the coming of the Christ child. That's why we celebrate Christmas. But it not only looks backwards, it also looks forward to the story, to the truth that Jesus will come again. And Advent is that season where we prepare the way for our hearts. We repent and we believe the good news that Jesus Christ is our King and Lord and that he has showed up and saved us and redeemed us. And with that, we have work to do this morning, my friends. And so when, when Mare and I found out that we were expecting our first, um, if, if any of you have spent any time with, um, with folks who have found out that news, they get really excited. And I was sworn to secrecy, which was the hardest month of my life not to tell anyone. And to be honest with you, my wife's not here. I told a few people um, because I was just so excited. And it was like, well, I mean, it was like literally minutes that I showed up to the office. You know, I sat down and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I, I can't tell anyone. I'm like, but I'll just tell this one person. And then pretty much the whole staff knew. And I said, you're sworn to secrecy. And anyways, um, I just couldn't keep my mouth shut. When there's good news like that, we just can't stop ourselves. Uh, and it was right after Thanksgiving. And so, you know, like the sentiments of the holidays were really in the air. Um, but what we realized really early on, uh, you have that moment of excitement, and then you have that moment of, holy smokes, we're going to have a kid. And that means so much. And so for us, what it meant was we took our little tiny Cape Cod, and we had a nursery picked out. Um, but what we realized is it was in really bad shape. So I ripped out all the, the old plaster. Anyone ever work on plaster, it's disgusting, and there's dust everywhere, and so I ripped out all the plaster and the lathe and all the stuff, and we ripped down the ceiling. We got, I got carried away, um, and if you ask my wife, it was probably a mistake, uh, but as we were ripping it all out, we tore it all the way down to the studs. We insulated the walls because we couldn't let our tiny child be cold. Um, I ran new electric, which I had no business doing. Uh, and we put up new drywall, we painted, we put together a crib from Ikea, so that's like extra points, uh, and we waited. But what we realized that our whole life was reoriented by this really good news. And that's what Advent is like. It's the season of reorienting our hearts to the coming of the King and His rule and His reign, and it is a total renovation. And so as J.R. said last gathering, he talked about the king coming, Jesus returning. And so we, like 12-year-old Ravi Teja, we prepare the way for his arrival. And I love this imagery by filling in potholes, by making the valley, raising the valleys and lowering the mountains and smoothing the way, preparing the way for the king to come. And a lot of that has to do with the way that we think through life, the way that we live life. Some of us may have walked home thinking about how things need, may need to change. And so this week, I want us to dig a little bit deeper into the return of the king 
and camp out on what the kingdom will look like. And so, my friends, the truth is that many of us have become inattentive to the meaning of Christmas and to the season of Advent. Some of us have been lulled into a stupor by stories of shepherds and angels and wise men. And we've fallen uh, in love with the cute little eight-pound, four-ounce, sweet baby Jesus. Because we have a lot of these sentimental connections to the holiday of Christmas. We connected to family and presents, big meals, great traditions. Family gathered around the TV, viewing the Peanuts, Christmas, and Elf. And this is not bad in and of itself. But church, let, I know this guy too, yeah. Steve, when I saw that picture yesterday posted, I was like, this feels like a magical moment that we all need to share in. Um, And the best is those that are listening to the podcast will have no idea what we're talking about. Um, And so, that's why you had to be here instead of being at home in snowpocalypse. Um, But let us not confuse the sentiment with what this season is actually about. Because I think during Advent, we must wrestle with this question. As followers of Jesus, do we settle for too little? Because the truth is Advent is pregnant with deep theological truths about God about his rescue plan, and about his kingdom. And my friends, Advent wasn't always the way that it is now. I read an interesting post from uh, author and uh, bloggist Michael Frost, and he said this. He said, the earliest reference to Advent appear in the 4th and 5th centuries, where it was seen as a season of preparation for baptism of new Christians. The Feast of Epiphany on January 6th became the traditional day for baptisms. And so Christians, they would spend 40 days in penance, prayer, fasting to prepare for this celebration. Originally, there was very little connection between Advent and Christmas. It was a time for new Christians to embrace their faith publicly and for other Christians to repent and renew their commitment. Can you imagine using Advent this time of year to repent, to fast, to pray, to prepare for the second advent? What might our community look like if we decided to live out this radical belief that Jesus the Lord is coming again? What if advent was the season where we intentionally entered into a recommitment of our faith? Because it's not about getting ready for Christmas by purchasing gifts and singing carols and looking for Elf on the Shelf. It's the season where followers of Jesus renew their passionate desire, their worship for Christ the King. And it's where we anticipate and participate in the full reality of his kingdom here and now. And so I want to... uh, bring our attention to a passage. If you have your Bibles, open up uh, to Isaiah chapter 11. I'm going to be reading uh, verse 1 through 10. And it says this, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding. 
the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions to the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. And faithfulness, the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And the little child will lead them. The cow will feed the bear. And their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. And the infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. And they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. And so I was thinking about this passage. And so what do we learn about the king and his kingdom as we reflect on this passage? Because, my friends, this passage is bursting with metaphors and imagery. And we need to understand the context of when and how this is written and who wrote this. Uh, Isaiah, the prophet, wrote this passage, and he was writing to a people and for a people who are facing a rather dark threat of being conquered by a brutally powerful Assyria. That their sinful nature, that the things that they want have been their heart's desire for years, and because of that, there's this doom and gloom that just seems to be hanging. And so these words from Isaiah, this vision that Isaiah has, come in the midst of hope. They come as hope in the midst of a great tension, in a great anxiety, in great despair. Because Isaiah envisions a hopeful future, a new king, a Messiah. But he is also working to call his brothers and sisters to wake up from their sinful slumber and to begin to live their life anew as children of God. To put simply, to stop living in sin and to follow God again. And these words they reach to us this morning as we're sitting here in the tension, anxiety, and despair of today. We sit here in the midst of threat of nuclear war, sexual abuse scandals, deep-seated racism in a world that seems to be spiraling out of control faster than ever before. And these words also reach to us this morning as knowing that this is one of the hardest times of the year for those of us that have lost someone, for those of us who are amidst in turmoil with their family. For those who are struggling with depression and anxiety. That's what this evening, this blue Christmas is all about. To have a place to voice those things together. To recognize that this is a difficult season. But what I love that Katina is going to bring is that there is hope. And that's what we see as Isaiah shows us and shares with us this vision. And it's in his vision, in the darkest days that Israel is facing, that Isaiah sees this king and his kingdom that will look like 
what it will look like, the way it will be, this beautiful imagery of these opposites coming together. And so as Israel stood in preparation for the first advent, we stand here today in preparation for the second. And so what do we mean when we say we are longing for Jesus to return? My friends, many of us, may, this, this comment may actually point to some tension that we may have. There was a time when people were obsessed with the second coming of Christ. It was commonplace to walk into a church and to see timelines and Bible numbers that added up and prophecies about specific times and dates when Jesus would return. And almost every president up to this point, uh, I hate to burst anyone's bubble, has been accused at some point in time of being the Antichrist. Um, And most every generation has thought that they will be the last, that Christ would return. Um, Because of this, things like 9-11 wars, earthquakes, and hurricanes were all part of judgment on America and other parts of the world, signifying that the end was near. And much of this thinking helped create this idea that looked at all current events as prophecies coming to pass that were found in Daniel and the book of Revelations. And it's in this atmosphere that things like the Left Behind series, although not bad, um, good fiction, um, things like the late great planet Earth and strange late night Christian broadcasting became popular. Growing up, I was convinced I would be one that was left behind. Uh, I heard a good number of sermons and teachings throughout the, uh, my upbringing on the second coming of Christ. And it usually it was accompanied by an altar call. Some of you be like, what, what is that? Uh, that? That's these places where people used to come forward at the end of a, of a gathering or a sermon. People would come forward and pray, and it's a beautiful space. I do not want to make sure that we're recognized that, that is a beautiful space. But what, what it was for me was that we would hear the story that you need, you need to repent and get ready for the rapture. That was the story that I continue to hear over and over. And for the, for the most part, it was that. If you believe in Jesus, bad things aren't going to happen. You're going to get taken up, you're going to be out, and everything else is going to go terrible, but you're going to be fine. Um, if you didn't repent, it was, I hope you like zombie movies. That was sort of the way that they worked out the story. Uh, This is a true story. The first date I ever went on, um, I I don't recommend this for anyone who's looking to date. Uh, We went to like a live action left behind. I mean, that's, you know, like I had these visions in my mind of like kind of strolling arm in arm and like, you know, something would scare and, you know, I'd be like, well, we got, you know, it's okay. I'll protect you. Um, We may have walked, we may have ridden in the back seat together on the way there, but we were, by the time we went home, she was in the front, I was in the back, and our hearts were very far apart. Um, It literally scared the hell out of us, and so we, we, yeah, Uh, so again, I don't recommend that. But what we need to understand is being end-time people uh, and waiting for the second coming in the way that this sort of prepared us, um, it actually brought about some unhealthy beliefs. In my opinion, it sort of hijacked the book of Daniel and Revelation in some poor ways. It also brought about some good things, and I'll get into those later. Um, The idea that it's all going to burn anyway mentality. And what what I think we saw is this picture of, well, if God's just going to destroy it all, there's no sense in actually caring for creation. And so what would happen is people that actually cared about creation were considered, like, ridiculous. Like, what's wrong with you? Because God would, you know, he's going to blow it all up and it doesn't matter. But my friends, like the more I read scripture and the more I started to see what this was all about, it's like, no, God says to be, we are co-creators with him in what we're called to. People sort of started to look at people as like, well, they're definitely going to not be raptured and they will be raptured. So it started to be this picture of like who's in and who's out. 
Um, under this thinking, people just started to disconnect from ideas about what it meant to be fully present to the kingdom here and now and coming again. So the whole focus was on the, ki the, the kingdom coming again and not much on how do we work that out in the here and now. And salvation, for the most part, was just a get-out-of-hell-free card, not necessarily an invitation to new life and a new kingdom. And so let me be really clear. Jesus does tell us to be vigilant and pay attention to what is happening around us. But he also said this, only the Father knows the time the Son will return and the consummation of all things will happen. And so he calls his followers to be ready. And so all these years later, after the obsession with the end times and all the different things that we just talked about, this kind of thinking has turned a lot of people off and we've swung completely the other direction and now we hardly hear mention of Jesus' return. Even those who believe in the second coming, we don't spend much time talking about it any longer. And this led N.T. Wright, uh, the scholar, to say, what we have at the moment isn't as the old liturgies used to say, the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the dead, but a vague and fuzzy optimism that somehow things may work out in the end. And yet we come to Advent, this season designed as an annual part of our yearly rhythm for anticipating dreaming and hoping for the second coming of Jesus. A full month of renewing our passionate worship and longing for the king and his kingdom to be fully realized. For Jesus' rule and reign, the future cosmic renewal of all things, this is what we say when we say we are longing for Jesus to return. That all things will be made right again. And this is what we are looking forward to. And so as followers of Jesus, we have an inherited belief and practice from the Christians long ago that calls us to proclaim and live as if the kingdom was already here because our king is alive now. And so as we enter into the season, as we think about how Advent can mess with our hearts if we allow the spirit to open us up, we realize that it, it really messes with this one question. What does the king and his kingdom look like? And so as Isaiah is writing this piece, he understands this. Kings and kingdoms of all ages to come uh, from past and from time future, they come to power and stay in power by using violence, fear, force, and exploitation. And the, all kings that we have who are, who are not Jesus will always abuse, always enslave, and never give their, their lives for their subjects. Time and time again, looking back on history books, when the going gets tough, the king disappears into some kind of bunker. And this is why God's heart is broken when we choose other kings. My friends, this is not our king. Isaiah sees Jesus. He sees God's rescue plan in place. And I love that Tim, I was going to teach on the uh, Luke 4 passage, and I'm glad I didn't because Tim did a great job. But when we think about what the kingdom looks like and who this king is, we see that, uh, we see this beautiful proclamation that the blind see, the oppressed 
are set free. The hopeless have been restored hope. The lame are walking again. This kingdom is so radically different that it's hard for us to even wrap our minds around it. Isaiah sees this king as holy and good and righteous, but he isn't what they think. He comes from a stump. What do we know about stumps? They're dead trees. He comes out of this, this despair and this sense of hopelessness, like all is lost. My friends, uh, in between your Old Testament and New Testament, there's the hardest book of the Bible to read. It's called a blank page. That's a long time. That's 400 years from the last time God spoke until when Jesus came onto the scene. And so he comes, these dead trees, this dead thing, but what we see is there's something about the dead coming to life that seems to happen in the midst of this new king. He is just and he sees the poor and he promises to reestablish justice. And my friends, so much trouble that Israel gets itself into as we read through the Old Testament, so much trouble that we get ourselves into as we live our life is by the lack of care and concern for those around us who don't have. By hearing stories of jail cells that are going to be numbered by the third grade reading level and doing nothing. And what we hear about this God as we read through this, the New Testament is that Jesus, this King, this Messiah, he loves us so much that he leaves his throne to come down. He doesn't hide away in a bunker. He lives the life that we never could live to die in our place and raised from the dead so that we would be raised with him. And he saves us from sin and death, but let me be very clear. He also saves us for his kingdom work here and now. And so we think about the imagery above this kingdom. This kingdom is really different. I don't know about you guys, but I don't like snakes at all. And when I hear about kids playing with snakes, that's like most of my nightmares, just so we're, we're very clear. But if we look at some of these pieces of what we have, the wolf with the lamb, the leopard with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together and children leading them. This image is so beautiful and so difficult for us to fully comprehend. It's this picture of the violent and the powerful becoming peaceable. This is a kingdom where not the rich are cared for, but the poor, where both are cared for. This is extremely subversive and should mess deeply with how we think about the world in which we live. Because what it ultimately does is we see these great distances between these two things in the world that we live here and now is it reconciles those who are at odds. This imagery of lions and lambs and kids and snakes, complete opposites coming. It's like talking about Eagles and Cowboys fans on the same talk radio show being kind to one another. It's about actually having a conversation between Democrats and Republicans where they can sit and honestly engage in loving space together. It's a kingdom where broken relationships are put back together. It is a peaceable kingdom. And so the question that, that leaves us with is, how do we begin to participate in this kingdom, in the kingdom of God? Mark 
chapter 1, verse 15 says this. It says, and Jesus, is, he, he starts his ministry, and this is what he preaches. And this, this is the vision of the kingdom. This is Jesus' vision. This is his mission statement. This is what he's all about. This is what we are all about. He says this, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus inaugurates the kingdom by this statement. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And as we look at his life and we see this vision, this is what his kingdom looks like. As it was said earlier in Luke 4, where the blind see and the lame walk and the oppressed are set, the, the oppressed are loved and are healed and the prisoners are set free. If we want to understand what the kingdom is like, I challenge you to read the Sermon on the Mount. You'll hear this statement that says this, you've heard it said, but I tell you, that's kingdom realignment language. He's saying this, you think this is what the kingdom is, but you need to take it a step further, or it's different than what you thought. And what we find in the sermon is love your enemy, gouge out your eye if you're struggling with lust. Don't store up treasures on earth, but be invested in being a generous person. We see this image of the one who will set all things right, that this resurrection becomes so big for us that death and sin no longer have the final word. And so the only way into this kingdom is through belief in Jesus as king, understanding that Jesus is the son of God, to look how he lived and to understand what it means that he came to live with us, to be with us, to show us. And Advent is not a season where we're called to just come and talk about Jesus, but we're called to actually follow him, where we heighten our active participation in the reconciling work of the king and his kingdom. And that's what I love about this community is you showed us, you all have been practicing this for years. As I think of Katina Alice and Alice as the vision of Blue Christmas, this is reconciling work of the kingdom. As I think about the prayer ministry that takes place on Tuesday night and here during communion and after gathering, that's reconciling work of the kingdom. These community dinners are reconciling work of the kingdom. And let me tell you what, if you ever want to walk through a set of doors and see your mind and have your mind blown, come to a community dinner the first Saturday of the month. And what you'll do is you'll walk in and you'll see the most random group of people sitting around tables having the most meaningful conversations. And it is beautiful. And if you're like, oh, I have kids, one of my favorite things about community dinner is when I walk in and I see the line, people serving, we have the O'Donnells and we have Amber Phelps and then we have Callum, he's butter and bread. And we have Jaden, he's handing out uh, I think he did stuffing this past, which was great. But it's an opportunity for the kids to be involved in this beautiful, reconciling work of the kingdom. And what happens around the table, let me share another story with you. This is amazing. Uh, there has been a, uh, a couple who's from Bangladesh has been coming for a while, and they got to know Mike and Deanne uh, O'Donnell over the course of the last few times. Guess who Mike and Deanne had over for dinner a few weeks ago? Hussein and his wife. And they had this beautiful conversation just about life in general. Guess who invited Mike and Deanne over for dinner? Hussein and Shahana just this past week. Because reconciling work of the kingdom of God looks like these really big things like seeing racism and all this stuff completely destroyed and made brand new 
but it also looks like being able to sit down and have conversations because, my friends, the theological truth about Advent and Christmas is that God didn't stay up in heaven and sort of give these ideas, but he came and embodied flesh and bones to be with us. This evening, this morning, we had a chance to be invited into the reconciling work of the kingdom. To have Bob say, you know what, if, if, if this bothers you, man, we would love time. And so you, you guys all have this, you know, this beautiful handout here, and, and I just want to just let you know, if, if that's you, and you're interested in giving time in this season, send me an email, let me know, because I'd love to hold you to that and see Renew not just be a place that uses the building and is able to bless in that way, but what if we had 15 people from Renew who actually decided to say, I'm going to give one day a month, but I'm going to be consistent, or one day a week, but I'm going to be consistent over the next six months through the end of the school year and see more stories of Jody. I want to be the Boys and Girls Club to, to, to the next Jody. I want a Jody in my life that looks back and says, man, if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for Steve, if it wasn't it wasn't for Alfredo. If it wasn't for Tina, I don't know. How, if I don't know if I'd even be here. So, my friends, the other thing that's beautiful is is we participate with this beautiful red box that we've been using for years. And I just want to remind us. One of the things that I love about what we do in Advent is we actually take time to say, you know what? It's better to give than to receive. And so, think about this. Over the last ten years during Advent, Renew has been so generous. We've built a roof for an orphanage. We bought a van for missionaries in India. We rescued women from sex trafficking in Cambodia. We helped spread the gospel through Southeast Asia. We clothed the cold. We fed those in need. And we've given gifts to kids and adults who are in need in countless more ways of giving. This small, little, radical community of ragtag followers of Jesus who say it's better to give than to receive. And so I want to ask us this morning to join with the early Christians and to change the way that we see Advent, to completely renovate our hearts, to tear it down to the studs, to rewire, to insulate, and to put new drywall and a fresh coat of paint on, and to join the active work of the coming kingdom, to ask Jesus to rewire our hearts, to root out the sin, and to help us to engage our broken and hungry world in practical and tangible ways, a world that desperately needs good news over fake news, to realize that all of us have a part to play, young and old. You see, this isn't just anticipation for this new kingdom. This is participation in it now and here. And again, Jesus doesn't come to say, think about me. He comes and says, follow me. And so, my friends, will we use this time of recommitment, of repentance and belief? Will we consider following Jesus in his radical kingdom subversive ways? And so this morning, I want to call us to a time of repentance. And repentance is this, literally just thinking and sitting with this one question, God, what needs to change about my heart's attitude or my life in this moment? What are you stirring? What are you doing? And I want us to do this as we reflect on a song that I think paints a beautiful picture of what the kingdom will look like and what we are called to enter into as we are looking forward to the fullness of it, 
but living in the partial reality of it now. And so I just ask that during this time, we just kind of close our eyes if you want. The words are going to be on the screen if you are visual and you need to follow along. But I just want us to use this time just to allow the Spirit of God to speak to our hearts, to change us in some way, shape, or form. So let's listen together. So my friends, will you join me in the worship of a king who one day we will stand in his glorious presence and all of those tears will be past long memories because God has come and redeemed the world. That is our inheritance. That's our future. And that is the good news that we share. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for the beauty of who you are, the lover of all, the one who will bring a kingdom together, the one who has inaugurated this beautiful kingdom where no one is left out of your love. Lord, that those who believe in you are included into this beautiful thing. But Father, may this also be a vision for us to live our life by. To recognize that we have work to do. That it is a glorious work that we get to join with your spirit and say, there it is. We see the kingdom coming. Lord, that it wouldn't just be a theoretical idea, but you would give it roots and bones and flesh that we would have practical ways to seeing your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, I ask that as we worship you in song, that you would unlock stuff in our hearts, that if there's sin that we're hiding, you would help us to just lay that out at the foot of the cross. Lord, if there's something that you've been stirring and we've been afraid to jump into, May you unlock that so we can join with you in the renewal of all things. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the way that you love us enough to mess with us. In your name we pray. Amen.